Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 96, Healthy Community and Touch as a Single Person. Hello and welcome. My name is Lori Krieg and I am the Executive Director of Hole in My Heart Ministries and we are coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan and I am not alongside Argyle expert and my husband, Matt Krieg, because he is with our chillins, the children uh, who are not sick. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but we couldn't find a babysitter. So thank you, Matt, for your sacrifice and letting me come and do this. Um, also, I'm sacrificing too, because I miss the kids so yeah. bad. I'm finishing up the book writing, our book writing. And right. so I miss them and very badly. Anyway, I do have though with me <laughs> in the studio. <laughs> Our producer and the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Here I am. Hi. Hello. Maybe a good thing for for Matt's sake yeah. that he's not here with his argyle on because the AC went out in the studio. It's 100 billion it's, degrees. It's a bit warm. I have never desired Michigan winter in this moment. <laughs> I desire the Michigan winter. Yeah. But in addition to looking forward to a tad bit cooler air when I step out of this very warm studio, I am excited to dive deep into healthy community and friendship and touch, as you said, with one of my dear friends, Meg Botts, who is going to share a bit more of her perspective on healthy friendship and community as a single person. And we've got several questions from you listeners. Uh, so the reason that I added the touch piece to this is when we did our episode on touch uh, at the beginning of this season, I had some great questions from you guys, um, just specifically about how can you really cultivate and steward touch as a single person. Uh, so I'm excited to have Meg just help us unpack that a little bit more. So without further ado, welcome, Meg. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. And you're you're calling in from Denver, which is also warm. Yes, it is. Well, we are excited to uh, perhaps warm up the microphones here with some good <laughs> conversation. But for those of you who don't know Meg, besides the fact that she's in Denver, she is the Director of Communications and Design at Lead Them Home, an organization that offers executive leadership consulting to Christian leaders on biblically sound LGBT care and inclusion. She is passionate about spiritual family and empowering people to grow and thrive in community. Therefore, her perspective on this podcast. So we're really looking forward to diving into this conversation with you. But first, we got to get to that question of the week, which we've we've done this one, I think, episode season one really? way back in the day. But I think we didn't actually uh, ask very many listeners. I don't know who I was asking. So basically, we just responded. So this is that question that I asked. What does your name mean? And does that meaning affect the way you live your life? I loved hearing from you listeners. Mm -hmm. And Meg, we would love to hear from you you yeah so my name is meg bots um i tell people it's pronounced bots like robots by the way <laughs> that's nice um yeah so meg is short for megan my full name's megan um my name means pearl and mm. this is something that i've kind of known for a lot of my life and when i was in college i actually wrote a, um i started a blog and I called it Daughter of Pearl based on my name. There you go. And kind of the, the like cool concept that I've drawn from that is that like, so pearls are formed from like a clam basically taking a grain of sand in its mouth and like slobbering on it over time. Mm, yeah. And then it becomes this like priceless thing. So I'm like, yes, that kind of describes my life. Like <laughs> that's how God, <laughs> like that's how God what he's done with my life. Like he's taken something that's kind of otherwise insignificant 
and kind of brought it through all these different trials and it becomes something that's beautiful and purposeful and priceless. So it's something that that means a lot to me. And we can say amen that's and the cool. podcast is done. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Uh, yeah. Steve, what listener stood out to you with their name, meaning, and life trajectory because yeah. of it? I liked this comment from Rebecca. She said, Rebecca, bound, and grace. Uh, that was given to me with the idea that I was bound to be full of grace. But a scripture verse that was read to me specifically at bedtime growing up was 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight: Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And she says this verse uh, got me through middle school. Um, It's kind of funny. Uh, She kind of went on and there's this whole exchange between her brother, who's also uh, in the Facebook group. And he was like, I don't remember that. What was my verse? Because she (laughs) she had said that, you know, like, I guess their parents got them these little, you know, things where it was sketched out on a piece of paper and everything. Oh, no. He's like. I don't know. I just remember mine. You know, that's what she said back to her brother. So anyway, that was kind of a fun exchange. Uh, And that group that Steve's talking about is the Hole in My Heart podcast group. So you guys are welcome to ask to join and I'll let you in if you answer some of those questions, um, you know, in a a good way. Uh, So, yeah, the Hole in My Heart podcast group. That's where the that's where the fun, the jibber jabber happens. (laughs) (laughs) Steve, Stephen, the martyr. Right. What's your name? Well, yeah. So I remember asking that when I was a kid and my mom was like crowned one. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) Is that your literal voice? Yeah, that was my little kid voice. Um, I think (laughs) that they probably gave me that name because of the martyr. Like, I don't know. There was something about that character that they loved. But um, that crowned one thing came back up recently, like during my adult years. I always thought it was like a king and queen crown. That's uh, the word where we get diadem from. Stephanos is more like a laurel wreath or like, you know, what <gasps> laurel, like what victors would wear yeah. either, you know, like athletic yep. or, you know, um, in battle. And uh, I discovered that after some not long after the Lord gave me this name of Victor in training. Mm. Um, I've always struggled with this identity of like just kind of being a loser. And so he really spoke to that. And then it was sort of supported by that idea of that crown of or that wreath of laurels that goes to the victor. So what up? Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. That's awesome. And I relate as Lori. Hey. (laughs) But I'll get to that in a second. I first want to hear from our listener, Haju. Hi, guys. I'm Haju, a senior student at Kuiper College. I would like to share the meaning of my name and how that affects my life. So my dad named me even before I was born. He's, um, he's a Calvinist, and that's where my name came from. So the meaning of my name is God's absolute sovereignty in Korean. And it, it does affect the way I live because it always reminds me that everything is under his absolute sovereignty. My life is not for me, but for his kingdom and glory. Um, so my name is a uh, constant reminder of our great God and what my life is for. So, yeah, thank you. What I liked about that, the many things, but one is like that forward heavenly trajectory focus. Um, Heaven is very on trend right now. Um, No, but just for me, just everywhere. I think every talk I've written this 
season and everything I'm writing, I'm like, oh, it all goes back to where is our focus? Like our life is so short. And so um, I don't know. I just it's it's in my mind and my heart. And maybe it's like a little sand in my soul and going to produce a pearl or something. Hey. But um, yes. Stephanos, Stephen, I relate to Laurel as Lori. Uh, I love that because it means victorious um, on my arm is tattooed Nikeo, which is victorious. Hmm. So it's from Revelation just to the one who is victorious. I'll give yeah. him a new name. Um, so my name means Lori Catherine Krieg means victorious, pure warrior, which is pretty Awesome. Yeah, it is. That is. I do love yes. that name. Uh, Krieg technically means war in German, but we just add the rear sure. and it turns into warrior. So I love it. <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, again, if you want to submit your answers to this, just friend me on Facebook or find me on the old Instagram. K R I E G is how you spell that warrior last name. But Meg, now our eyes are on you. Our hearts are ready to receive your story and your your words on community and healthy touch as a single person. But first, you know what's coming at you, girl, is these yes. questions. If the gospel is I'm more loved than I can imagine and yet more sinful than I actually believe, when was that good news of the gospel first good news for you? And how is it still today? Yeah, so I think the gospel first became good news to me uh, when I was around 12 or 13. Um, and we're talking about community uh, on this episode. I think my childhood actually had a lot of loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a really great family, uh, but I was also really introverted. And I tended to um, just have a lot of conflict within myself. I had a lot of shame and guilt. And again, largely that was from how I kind of interpreted the world and not necessarily how... Um, my family or my community was at the time. So I was, I was really shy. I was really lonely. I also had a really heavy conscience and I had this deep sense of my need for significance and purpose. Um, when I was 12 years old, one night I was lying in bed, just basically philosophically wondering what, like, first of all, um, what's going to happen to me because of like the sin that I, that I've done, like are bad things going to happen to me in my life because I've sinned and just worried about not necessarily punishment from God, but just kind of the natural consequences of my sin. Mm. And then also just, is it going to matter in a hundred years that I lived? So not, not necessarily like any kind of suicidal thoughts or anything, but just wondering like, does it matter what I do and how I live my life? And that was the night when I, I, I grew up in church. I kind of knew, you know, that like God had this huge story that he was writing on history Mm. and that I was a part of that and that that was basically the answer to those questions. So that was kind of when I first gave my life to God. Um, Part of it was out of fear and part of it was out of just, you know, if I want my life to matter, I need to live according to like how God would have me live because that's going to make the most sense with like how the world works or whatever. Hmm. So after, after that instance, um, I had a lot of curiosity about God, but that's kind of when I first started learning about his forgiveness. And I found just so much freedom in that, um, the guilt and the shame that I was carrying around from that time. Um, he just really released that from my shoulders in a lot of amazing ways And so here I'm this kind of like shy, awkward, 12-year-old middle school girl. And like all my classmates are into like dating or like 
different TV shows or whatever, and I'm like over here just really excited about God's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then how how is it still good news for me? I think I just have this deep confidence that my life matters because I know that God is real and that he, because he's real, the people that he made matter. Mm. And because of that, that also means that what I do with my life matters. And so the choices I make, um, they make a difference and they, not just this, oh no, I better watch out what I do because there's grace. And because of grace, I don't have to freak out about the consequences uh, like I did when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead I can say, hey, there's purpose in what I do. And I don't have to feel this like sense of meaningless in what I'm doing. Hmm. I think along with that too, just this idea that Jesus really is my best friend. Um, I didn't have a lot of good friendships or community when I first came to Christ, uh, but I had this foundation. It was actually kind of kind of a blessing in disguise not having a lot of friends in middle school uh, because that was probably the time when I I really just got to lean into getting to know Jesus um, and getting to know him as my best friend. Hmm. It's funny because I can relate to that in some of my most lonely times. If I open up my heart and like reach my hand out to grab the hand of Jesus, I, I like discover his reaching back in such a very almost tangible way. And I find that in my less lonely times, I miss him. (laughs) Like, I actually miss yeah. the lonely times yeah. because I encountered him so deeply then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think also there, there's just this, like the idea of being known and loved, like something really impactful for me when I was first getting to know Jesus was one of my youth leaders who said, Jesus knows everything about you already. Uh, and yet he fully loves you in that. Uh, but he still wants to hear from you about you. Like he still wants to hear about your life. So it, in my kind of growing prayer life, I started to learn what it means to basically like tell Jesus about myself, knowing that there's never this like miscommunication Mm -hmm. that he knows me more than any other human being ever could. So comforting. So speaking of human beings, we live in this world with humans who, you know, we're supposed (laughs) to look through to God, um, who always loves us and sees us and knows us, but in their loving us and seeing us and know us, they can show us him. Yeah. There's a reflection of that there. Yeah. So, okay. There seems to be just even based on the questions, um, and just my friendships with single and married people, there seems to be at least a, a difference between finding community as married people and as single people. What seems mm-hmm. to be those differences for you? Yeah. Um, I think there, there's kind of challenges of their own. So like I, I live with married people, so I don't necessarily know what the married experience is like, yeah. but I've kind of seen ways that it's hard for them. I, also just looking at other, other married friends, I think a lot of times, when someone gets married, there's this assumption that they're like all set, so to speak, in yeah. terms of their relationships. Like, oh yeah, they found their happily ever after this kind of Disney uh, story, you know? Um, and so they don't need friendships. I think it can also be the other way where uh, we kind of inherit this script that once we're in a relationship, we need to lean just really hard into that relationship and everything else kind of becomes secondary to that. And I think 
like obviously the marriage relationship is really important but I think on both sides there can be this pressure that isn't necessarily there of single people that like oh I shouldn't spend so much time with them or oh it's going to be harder to do that because they're really busy or they have to coordinate their schedules but I think oftentimes it can be um, there's this particular type of loneliness that can happen in married couples when they don't have uh, friendships. Mm -hmm. So is it harder for us or easier for us? I, I really don't know. Um, I don't think I necessarily like to think of it in terms of harder and easier because I think it's all hard. Like it's hard for all of us. Um, I think for single people, like it's, it's also really hard. I think the biggest challenge there is you don't necessarily have that one person you can always go to. Mm -hmm. And so finding who's going to be like my people that I'm going to really dive in really close in, in friendships can be really difficult. Where do you look? Because, you know, we as married people too are like, okay, I've got this person. And we talked last week um, with Kelly Needham, who wrote a book on friendship. And we were talking about some of the challenges for married people to have friendships and bringing up mm-hmm. this idea of best friendship. And is that right? Is that wrong? Like, mm-hmm. and, and really where we landed the plane was the church should be that committed friendship place. Mm-hmm. Is the same answer true for single people? Like, are those your I, people? Yeah, I think ideally, yes. Like the church is where we find our friendships. I think a huge piece of friendships for anybody is having shared values. And, um, for a Christian, if you have your, your rooting for your life is in Christ, like you're rooted in him, uh, and your life is about him, then even if you find other people who are different from you in personality or like life stage or relationships, you have that kind of common ground that you can work from. Hmm. Do you, you said, you know, you don't have your person that you like Mm -hmm. can usually Mm -hmm. back, like your, that's your person, that's your go-to. That's the person you call when you get in an accident. That's the person you call when you need to get picked up from the airport. And like, Mm -hmm. is that important for single people to have, to either have their one person, like, is that good? Mm -hmm. And, or do you need your people? I'm, yeah, I think for me personally, I'm someone who's more prone to want like a set of people. And I think there can there can be benefit in that because if one person isn't available, I can reach out to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to necessarily be spread too thin, but if I can have kind of a group of people, um, yeah, I would say that's something that that I would kind of gravitate towards. Well, and it seems. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, but do you need your person? Because oh, I hear yeah. those sorts of things. Like I just need my person. And and even when I hear that, like in married couples, like this is like, it's almost like this sucking the life out of their spouse sense that I get. I'm like, yikes. Like it doesn't seem healthy. Mm -hmm. And like, so what you're saying, like toward for me to have a group of people, I'm like, well, that seems super biblical with the body of Christ that we need. But like, do do you need one person? Yeah, that's a good point. I think like, again, the script that we inherit is we need one person. Yeah. And that'll be it. But I, I think that that puts so much pressure on one person and so much weight on one person. And mm-hmm. it can, it can actually be honoring to the people that we're really close to in our lives to respect the, their space and, and kind mm-hmm. of carrying our burdens. And if we can kind of uh, like, I don't know, spread out our burdens and our availability to other people. Yeah. Uh, 
and also our ability to bless multiple people. Like mm. I can bless other people with the gifts that I have or sharing their burdens. And I think that does tend to, to be a lot healthier. Yeah. Well, cause I even think like Matt and I have a amazing small group, but I also have some amazing siblings and an amazing prayer group and amazing like friends I talk to on the mm-hmm. phone. Like I don't even have my group of persons. Like, I don't know. I just see the church as like such, like I get, there's so many gifts, exactly what you're saying, Meg, to like, yeah, both receive there's like a diversity. And I think give. like, yeah, I really have a high value of di- diversity because I see that as a huge quality of the kingdom of God. Yeah. Like you, you read in revelation 21, every tribe, tongue and nation. And, um, even like the gender diversity that we see in how God, uh, creates humanity and just having like personality differences and age differences. Um, we learn different things from different people. Mm. And so if we are opening ourselves up to being influenced by many different types of people, um, it's really going to help us grow in all those different ways. Totally. So Meg, you're in a pretty unique environment. You're living with a family. Um, how did you well, I guess just why, why did you choose to do that? Yeah. So a few years ago I was living on the East coast and I was kind of finding that my, all my closest friends were out of state. They were all, I was keeping in touch with people on the phone or online. And, um, I had some roommates, but I didn't really feel this deep closeness with them. And I didn't really, um, necessarily pursue that with them either. But um, I heard this sermon one day at the church I was going to that made me realize something that I would call practical Gnosticism. Mm. And uh, basically, like the church that I was a part of had a very local mindset. Um, I think a lot of churches are like, oh, yeah, let's go change the world. But this particular church was like, okay, let's recognize the needs in our community and let's meet those needs in a really tangible way. And um, let's really invest in like local embodied relationships. And so uh, practical Gnosticism. So like Gnosticism is this idea that our bodies are separate from our spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually an early heresy in the mm-hmm. church that basically people use as an excuse for um, like, I guess, physical or sexual sin and saying well, what I do with my body isn't going to affect my spirit. And in the way this is happening in my life, I realized that I had this relational draw to people who were far away from me, but I didn't have that embodied relationship or community. And so I was really wanting something a lot more local. Hmm. And I think there's definitely a, like a place for long distance relationships, but I didn't have really any close local, local relationships. So I had the opportunity to basically um, move to Colorado. And as I was praying through whether I should move back or not, I was really just um, praying through, well, what should my community look like? And I had this conviction, I really need to pursue community. I had heard um, some other people read some books about other believers who were living kind of in like a spiritual family situation where it wasn't their biological family It wasn't their spouse, um, but they're living with other believers under the same roof. And so in my prayers, I was like, God, I think I want that. Hmm. And I'm open to other things, but 
it'd be cool to, to kind of pursue that. Why would it be cool? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, just, I think another thing that God was sharing with me was just this idea of spiritual family. Mm-hmm. So like when you look at the old Testament, there's kind of this idea that God's promise is passed down through biology. But then when Jesus comes, there's this idea that, um, God's promise kind of transcends biology and biological family. And you hear Jesus saying like, these are my mother and my brothers, the people that do the will of God and really just changing the whole paradigm around how we can, how we look at family. And I knew it would be difficult. Um, but I kind of was pursuing it as an experiment just to say, I'm going to try this like community living thing and see, see what happens. And if it doesn't work, I'll maybe try something else. Hmm. That is cool. So then you found this family and yeah. they had the same vision you had. Yeah. So, um, the, the couple that, that I am now living with, um, the husband had actually been through this discipleship program that had a really high like value on community. And so they had both already had roommates and they already had this vision that they wanted community in their house. So, um, by the time I reached out to them, they already had a couple of roommates and they were looking for a third. Um, and so, yeah, that vision was already there for them and Mm -hmm. God just really connected us in this really beautiful way. So how does that, you, you laid this foundation for us in your story that you have this best friendship with Jesus, which I still hear that even though you're not, it's kind of like reading the book of Esther. You don't say the name of Jesus, but you hear Jesus throughout it, you know, you don't hear God through it. So I still hear that in even your contentment, Meg, um, which, you know, I know you're not sharing every minute of struggle of your life, but, um, in that you have this best friendship with Jesus, you have this mm-hmm. diversity of relationships, and then you're living with this family. Did that meet the needs of your heart for community? Um, so I, I went into community living kind of already with this expectation that it wouldn't solve all my relational needs. I think I definitely had some misconceptions about what it would be, but I knew it'd be hard. Um, it wouldn't be just this kind of solving all my relational needs. Mm -hmm. So I knew that marriage wouldn't do that. I knew that, um, trying to find, you know, the right people is, can be the same pitfall as trying to find the right person. Mm -hmm. Um, there's always going to be conflict. And so I think, I guess the answer would be, know in that there like there's a lot of beauty and joy um but there is still a lot of times nights where there's discontentment or there's oh I don't feel understood mm-hmm. and um I think that's that's something that is actually beautiful about community being able to work through those things and um kind of just come to this acceptance this more joyful, peaceful acceptance that this isn't going to be ideal, um, but there's growth and beauty to be had um, in even amidst a lot of the discontentment Mm. that is present. Totally. And 
Okay, and I was joking about heaven being on trend, but it, I just can't get it out of my head. As far as mm-hmm. like even our desire for no conflict, our desire for our people and our perfect people and our perfect person, it, we don't have to shame that desire. It's just reflective of our good desire for eternity where there won't yeah. be conflict and we will all have our person named Jesus. Absolutely. And I think it's like a lot of other things in our walk with Jesus, that we get little tastes and glimpses of what that community will be like, but it wasn't necessarily meant to be everything it was supposed to be here. And that can be okay. And that can point us to the fact that there is going to be a time when this is going to be fulfilled. Yes. Mm, So good. Okay. I want to shift into this, the touch talk. (laughs) It's time for touch talk. All right. (laughs) Steve and I are still cringing because we hate this, but whatever. We're going to get over it. We're going to, no, we're going to get through it. Okay. Mm. Suffer well. Um, But you, Meg, you identify as not straight, right? Is that the label you choose? Um, I, I think I'd say I kind of hold labels with an open hand. Hmm. Um, A fellow labelist friend. Yes. (laughs) Do you want to describe that? that? Yeah. So I do, I experience, um, primarily attraction to the same gender. Um, when I'm talking with people who aren't familiar with this whole sexuality conversation, I will usually just describe it like that. I'll say I experience attraction to the same gender Mm -hmm. for someone who, who is familiar with that experience. I tend to use LGBT labels, uh, like gay or queer, um, and yeah, like a lot of it is just kind of speaking to people in a way that they can understand what yeah. my experience is. Yeah, sounds a little Pauline being all things to all people. So she's not changing her theology by changing those words, people. I see you. Uh, she's just yeah, using yeah. words. Yeah, it's more to I'm describe describing my, my lived experience. This is a part of my life that Yes. Like all other Christians, I am submitting to God. Yes. So good. And the roof is not on fire for using certain <laughs> words. Okay. I'm not freaking out. All right. <laughs> um, but dear Meg, there seems to be an extra level of awkwardness for people like us when we're cultivating yes. friendships with women in particular. I like, mm-hmm. I like start sharing my story and they just start inching away these precious mm-hmm. women. And it's like, there's a bubble around me and they start acting weird and I start acting weird because they're acting weird. What's going on, Meg? Why are they acting so weird? Yeah. Uh, I think they're being human. <laughs> I think that's a, uh, honestly a normal human reaction. I think it's easy to think, oh my gosh, like this is straight up rejection. They don't like me. They're going to see me differently. I think a lot of times it's less about my own shame around my sexuality that they're responding, uh, any shame that I might have, not saying that I do. Um, mm-hmm. But it's actually more just that whenever we as human beings are in an unfamiliar territory, whether that's people or tasks or jobs or whatever, we don't tend to just like dive right into it. Like we're cautious, we kind of step back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there can be this like, oh, I don't know what to do here. I've never encountered this before. I think there can also be assumptions like, oh, you said this word. So I think that means this when it may not actually mean that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess I'll just say, I think it's a reasonable and I understand why I think it can be, it can feel really hurtful when someone does that. Um, But I think I also have grace and understanding that probably if I were put in, in a similar situation, 
without a knowledge of of this experience of sexuality, I might end up doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. I do need to clarify one thing because I have sure, said this yeah. when speaking <laughs> is sometimes I think when I say it, I wonder if people think, oh, no, I'm a girl. I don't want to make her stumble by just being yeah, a girl. Yeah. And I'm like, y'all aren't that cute. Just because I'm attracted <laughs> yeah. to women doesn't mean I'm attracted to all women. So you can calm yeah, down. You know, that's a question I, I've heard before. <laughs> like right after I have this conversation, it's, are you attracted to me? Oh, and I'll be like, no. And <laughs> even if, if I was, I wouldn't like, tell you. Legitimately hurt. But then I'm like, yeah. if I said yes, it would also make it awkward. And I know. So there's like, <laughs> no, you can't win. So you guys, we're not going to tell you. So that's fine. But please <laughs> don't be weird. Okay. But okay. So you have these attractions toward women, but you need healthy female friendship. And yes. so how do you get over the awkwardness and cultivate healthy friendship without falling into relational idolatry? Yes. So first a disclaimer, I think I'm just like an awkward person in general, mm, like even preach. outside of this conversation. Mm. And my approach to it has become to just like embrace the awkward. <laughs> like, I think there's a lot about any close relationship. Well, any relationship that is not close yet um, that's going to be awkward. There's like, there's this element of not knowing all of the, all of the things about the other person that you would understand if you had more relational context. Mm. So I think just, I look at playing the long game, um, and looking toward how do I get to that place where I know and am known deeper so that that awkwardness isn't as much of an obstacle in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, so around sexuality, I would say start by keeping the conversation open. Um, I, I basically share, um, just my experience and I say, I'm, you can ask me any question. I'm an open book. Um, I want to give people permission to be curious and yes, this can open the door to, you know, questions with, negative assumptions about me um, that could potentially come across as hurtful. But I think I'd actually rather have those questions to be be asked to my face rather than, and then I can, you know, bring clarity to that yes. rather than have someone walk away, um, like believing something of me or thinking mm-hmm. of me in like in a way that isn't true of me. Yeah, that's so good. So I do I the try to really... same thing, except for the one, are you attracted to me? I don't answer that one. And don't get asked is probably because I'm too snarky about it. But yeah. <laughs> I like that approach. Yep. So, okay. So you, you try and just alleviate. There's just normal awkwardness in general that just comes with cultivating mm-hmm. friendships. Yeah. We're just kind of, it's just hard. It's weird. You're like getting your little Bambi relationship legs. You say you're <laughs> an open book. And so you want, you want people to ask you questions. And really no question is dumb. It's you'd rather people ask you that. So let's say you're grooving into a more like closer friendship relationship is part of your attraction stuff. Like is some of that idolizing women, does that factor in? Um, I think so. I think I can desire to have the majority of my relational or emotional needs met from women rather than from God first and then women. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of it is about just the priority and it's easy from there to go 
one extreme or the other where I'm like, oh my gosh, like I have this really, really deep need for a relationship with women. Or I can be like, oh no, I don't want to idolize my friendships and I'm just going to like retreat out of fear and shame. Totally. Um, So I really try to keep like monitoring how I'm interacting, where is my heart, talking to God, talking to friends, and just kind of keeping an eye on, on where I'm at. Not like not retreating, um, but also being being aware of where I'm at and where mm-hmm. my heart is at. And do you have people too who are asking you those tough questions? Because I can ask myself hard questions, like when I'm yes. noticing, okay, this is an especially hard season. I will I have certain people I text that I'm like, please ask me these heart questions. Don't be mm-hmm. my cop, but be my cardiologist. Yeah. So my, my roommate Liz is really good at those conversations. Um, for Enneagram people, she's an Enneagram eight. Oh, hey. So, um, <laughs> which is, can be, um, they're like th- called the challenger. Mm-hmm. So it's not the most like peacemaking <laughs> personality, I guess. But what I love about eights is that they are willing to lean into conflict um, for the purpose of like bringing reconciliation or, or resolving that conflict. Yeah. Um, so they won't just step back and be like, Oh, I don't want to, you know, like intrude on someone's life. Um, so she, like when I first moved in, um, with Liz and her husband and their family and their roommates, um, I had actually come out to them, um, like before, I moved in with them just to see how they'd respond and they responded really well. Mm. Um, they asked like, what, like, what does this mean? What should, what is, what do you need from us? And I said like, I'd love to have accountability kind of in this area and you're feel free to ask questions. Um, and so, yeah, Liz is someone who's really been good at asking me like about my friendships and, not in an accusatory way, but just mm. someone who asks. And when there have been times where I I have struggled with like, um, I guess relational idolatry, and she's kind of started to see that and has really dug into that. Um, and so I've really appreciated that actually, mm. that even though she is a straight person, that she's willing to go there. Yep. Um, And there's something about being seen and known and loved in our mess by a safe person like that, that Mm -hmm. even at least for me, and you can let me know what you, for you, what happens, but like, uh, it helps me to even my wrestling, let's say I'm really wrestling with lust or relational idolatry to be seen and known and loved there by even another woman. It helps to decrease my lustometer. (laughs) Like it helps the struggle to go down. Is that true for you? Yeah, I think that's true. Like, I think I'll, I'll be looking for relational fulfillment in, in one relationship and then it will show up in another relationship in a way that I, I wasn't even necessarily looking for. Um, which again, I think is one of the, the, the benefits of having diverse um, relationships, I guess. Yep. And people who will speak into your life. I've got some great, great friends like that. Yes. We need those friends. (laughs) We need our like really safe friends that will just listen. Yes. Um, I think we also need people who are yeah. like, they don't take no you crap. You need to change the direction <laughs> or like check your heart. <laughs> yeah. I have friends who I have told in seasons that have been really challenging. I said, if I ever do that, like when Matt and I were really struggling, I said, if I ever leave Matt, 
you need to come after me. I said, you have permission. Mm -hmm. And I gave like two other people. I said, don't let me say no. So anyway, there's a little Mm -hmm. vulnerability. Okay. But Meg, speaking of vulnerability, this whole touch thing. So you need healthy. Well, do you need healthy same sex (laughs) touch? Like, is that a need? That is a really good question. Um, I've heard people talk a lot about like the need for physical touch I think like I think there are some people who like physical touch is the highest on their like love language thing if you yes. if anyone who knows the love languages. We do, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um for me it's not this thing that I I feel like I'm always just longing for. And that might affect my answer, but I th- the way that that I would see this question is that I don't think we necessarily have a, a need for touch, but rather we have a need for human contact. Mm. And I think physical touch is a form of communication. And it's something where um, it's one of many aspects of human contact that adds up to our, like God making us social beings who need to be in connection with one another. Mm. Like one other example of that is like, we don't talk about the need for human talk, but like, it's a need, mm. like, or is it? <laughs> right, right. Well, like we need, we need to communicate. We need to know and be known by other people. And I think it's more a holistic thing and, and physical touch is kind of under that umbrella. I don't, I, you know, I readily say how quickly I am really a struggler when it comes to physical touch because it's definitely dead last on my love languages as well but I think the people who who are writing in and asking questions they're saying okay I'm single I feel this maybe it's highest on their list and yet they uh, these in particular people who are reaching out specifically were wrestling with you know same-sex attractions as well and um, they're saying, how, how do I put these boundaries on? And, and do I need to? Because there's some camps in, in our world that are like, oh, just kind of, I'm going to be honest, it sounds like playing with fire. <laughs> like if Matt was to cuddle in the same ways that some people do, um, I would go ballistic. Or if I was to engage, like kind of play with fire, like around certain women, even though it is dead last in my love languages, wouldn't be safe for me. And so... I just feel like I'm just so pro the Keller quote, which he's just quoting Paul, that a Christian doesn't play games with sin. They put it to death. Mm, And so there's, you know, I'll watch my straight girlfriends, for example, and I'm sorry, I'm chatting too much. I really want to hear your thoughts too, Meg, but I'll see my straight girlfriends. I remember in college and after, and they'd be all like cuddling on the couch. And in my heart, I think I cannot step a toe there. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't. And, and even though that's like a stereotypical girly thing, even though me, I don't, you know, it's low on the, the list of love languages for me, I mm-hmm. still could walk that path pretty quick. And so even mm-hmm. though in my heart, I'm going, oh, I am going to not play games with sin. It's too risky mm-hmm. for me. So that's, that's my MO is if I, if I am feeling, especially in a vulnerable place, I still need healthy t- touch as far as like hugs, you know, an arm around sometimes, but I don't, I just don't yeah. get close to the line. What do you think, Meg? Yeah. So the, the passage that comes to mind is where Paul says like, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Yeah. Um, 
And so what is it that's going to like, I think my approach is physical touch deserves wisdom in Mm -hmm. how we go about it and how we steward our physical touch that like there's a, there are ways to steward physical touch that are beneficial and there are ways to steward it that are not going to be beneficial for our specific hearts. Mm. Um, so I think it, it it's wise to set boundaries. I think it's something that I can do to respect myself and my own boundaries, my own limits. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes we can be afraid of our limits and ashamed of our limits. Yeah. But I think instead we need to accept them. Like um, one of my pastor friends has said, we are deficient by divine design. Like there's things about us that we're limited and that's okay. And we don't have to learn to be these super strong people that just could get into, get ourselves into any situation and just be okay. I think it's okay to accept our limits and to say, okay, how can I honor myself and love, love myself as someone who God loves and love and respect other people um, through the boundaries I set up. Well, and precious Meg, um, I don't know why I call you Precious Meg. I just feel like this is so good. But Meg, um, I'm just thinking of what you said in your story about those lonely seasons where you encounter Jesus and like how we were saying, like you almost crave him. So I, I, to be honest with you guys, I sometimes really look forward to these moments now when I'm feeling empty in the core needs of my heart, or I'm feeling sad because I'm seeing all my straight friends get all cuddly and I'm like, nope, not going to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. Because in that moment, I get the opportunity to reach out in my heart to Jesus and say, do you see me right now? Do you love me? Are you shaming me? Do Do you hold my heart? Like, can I picture you hugging my heart right now, even though I'm not getting a tangible hug? And I almost crave those moments of rejection or sadness now, not as a masochist, but because they give me these moments to cuddle with Jesus. So, yeah, yeah, I think he definitely, there's definitely a special presence from Christ in times that we're feeling lonely or brokenhearted. Yes. Yes. He is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It says in Psalm 34. Oh man. Um, Meg, I think the reason I'm calling you Precious Meg is because I relate so much. I feel like our Mm -hmm. stories are so similar. We've watched walked similar places and just your heart for hospitality and the gospel and even your labellessness. I just so appreciate that. And just you're running after Jesus with your eyes on eternity. Just thank you for the gift that uh, you are to the kingdom. Yeah, thank you. Uh, So guys, if you want to connect with Meg, I will connect you to her site and also uh, lead them home, that that great organization that she works with. Um, And you guys too, if you would like to drop us a review, I think we have like 95 something reviews on iTunes. I don't know what happens when we hit 100, but I'm pretty sure maybe something really cool if you're that 100th person, (laughs) especially if it's a five star. Uh, No, but giving us reviews helps people find us, which is really awesome. Um, So thanks so much for doing that. Our question of the week for next week is stupid human tricks. What can you do? Can you shake your eyes? Can you (laughs) fold up like a pencil? 
I don't know. Maybe send us pictures. Although this is a podcast, so I don't know how that's going to work. But uh, how much wood can wood chuck chuck? What can you do? We want to hear your silly things that you could do. So please send them to us at podcast at HMHministries.com. You can just send us a voice memo and maybe we'll just choose you because you're cool. Uh, or friend me on that Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and I'll post it. Uh, but thanks so much for joining us. Big thanks to Meg and for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast. We will see you next week. <laughs>